do construction projects at home, do a little do-it-yourself projects at home. Uh, you know, when you get done with a project like that, you like to step back and look at it and you kind of have a, a sense of accomplishment that you were able to fix something or, or build something or put something together uh, and, and it just sort of feels good, right? Well, you know what makes a project like that a lot simpler? Having the right tools, right? Uh, it's, it's really difficult to do something when all of a sudden you realize I don't have what I need uh, to make this happen. And certain tools will make jobs a lot quicker and a lot more efficient and a lot easier on you. Like if you have a, a nail gun, that's a lot easier than using a hammer, right? I mean, it's as simple as just pulling a trigger versus, you know, hoping you don't hit your finger and you're nailing uh, that, the head of that nail down into the wood. Or, or if you have like an electric drill, it's just pulling that trigger and it pulls that that nail right into the wood versus having a really strong forearm and, and, and turning it over and over again. And, uh, you know, imagine the first time that a guy shows up on a roof with a, with a roofing crew uh, with a nail gun, right? I mean, they're all sitting up there just hammering away, and all of a sudden he jumps up there and just like pop, 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 pop down through there. They're all like, who is this guy? You know, I, where do I get one of those things? You know, so uh, imagine if you had a nail gun and you're like, I don't think I want the nail gun. I'm going to go back to the hammer, right? I mean, no one would do that, right? If you, if you have a nail gun, why would you want to go back to the hammer? I mean, that'd be silly. When our passage this morning in the book of Hebrews, the, the author's addressing this group of, of Jewish background Christians that are thinking about returning back to Judaism. And in this passage today, they're looking back to these Levitical priests, to the priesthood uh, and, and the, to make their sacrifices to God, to represent them before God, to go before God on their behalf. And it's like going back to the hammer once you have the nail gun, except to a far greater degree. And what the author of Hebrews is saying here is, why would you want to go back to the Levitical priests when Jesus is so much better? So if you have your Bibles this morning, I ask you to stand in honor of God's word if you're able we're continuing our series through the book of Hebrews called A Better Hope, and today we're going to see that Jesus is a better priest in Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Hebrews 4, verse 14, the word of God says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Thank you. You may be seated. As we dive into this passage today, there's an action step that I want you to think about as we're listening to the word today and thinking about how we can apply it into our hearts in the year 2022. And the action step for you today is to hold on to your faith. To hold on to your faith. That's exactly what the author says there. He says to hold fast to your confession, to hold on to your faith. And the reason that we need to hold on to our faith as we look in this passage are, is that we have Jesus who is a capable priest and who is a qualified priest. 
for us. And so we begin with noticing how Jesus is a capable priest. And this new section here at the end of chapter 4 begins with that connector word. And, and you should, this is something that you should start to understand as you're reading through a book of the Bible uh, when you start to see things like the word therefore. Uh, this is a, t- a, a tip for you uh, that, there's, that it's, it's referring back to a prior statement. And he's, he's joining us here back to the previous section where he makes the statement that Christ stands as our judge. In verse 13, he says, No creature is hidden from him. All things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so he says that Jesus is our judge. We all have, we are exposed before him. There's nothing that's hidden from him. And we have to give an account of our lives unto Christ. And so he is, he is our judge. And that can be a scary and an intimidating passage, and it should be. Because we're all going to face judgment one day for our lives, for answering for what it is that, that we have done or, or what we've not done. But he says for those who are, whose hope is in Christ, for those who have entered that final rest through Christ, he says we're going to find that we have a great high priest who has made sacrifice for us. And so in verse 14 he says, Therefore, since we have this great high priest, who is passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, then let us hold fast to our confession. That's our, our action step today, to, to hold on to our faith. And so the author here, he makes a really bold statement about Jesus. He says that he is passed through the heavens. Now, the Levitical high priest would pass through the veil into the Holy of Holies, to make the atoning sacrifice for the sin of the people on the Day of Atonement. This was a high holy day in the Jewish calendar. It's called Yom Kippur. And that, that place where he would go, that Holy of Holies, it, it represented the very presence of God. But when Jesus was crucified on the cross, the Bible tells us that that veil was torn in two when he arose from the tomb on Easter. And and, and so Jesus has made the way for man to get to God. We don't have to go into the Holy of Holies, into the temple. He has passed through the heavens, he says, to the very throne room of God himself. And so because we have a great high priest like that, he says you should hold on to your confession. You should hold on to your faith. And so the author here is obviously he's drawing a a connection between the work of Christ and the work of these Old Testament priests. And the Hebrew people would have been very familiar with the work of the priest. I mean, after all, they used to practice Judaism. So they, I mean, they knew all the things that, that the priests did. But the argument that he's been making through the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is so much better. And, and he had made this argument previously in the book where he says that Jesus is God incarnate, that he is fully divine and that he is fully human. And as such, he says that he understands our plight. He knows our problem. He's aware of our sinful state. In verse 15, he goes on to say, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. He says, because Jesus is God incarnate, 
He says, we have a high priest who, who put on flesh and became like us. We have a high priest who understands us. He's not a high priest who is, who is uh, high and removed from us. It, it sits in an ivy, ivory tower and doesn't understand us. He created us, but he says he became like us in order to provide salvation for us. And so Jesus experienced the things that you experienced. Jesus was a carpenter. I'm going to imagine he hit his finger with a hammer sometime. He didn't have one of those nail guns. Okay, Jesus probably had annoying little brothers and sisters. Jesus had to stand in line at the market, just like you do. Right? Jesus had a, a, a donkey cut him off on the road to Jerusalem one day, probably. People had whining in Jesus' ears, complaining. We know that. We read about that in the Gospels. Jesus probably had a pretty lady that would wink at him. Jesus had friends that died. We know that. He was tempted just like we are. We're familiar with the with the temptation passages where he was in the, in the wilderness for, for 40 days and Satan was tempting him in various ways. So we know that he experienced temptation just like we do. And so he says he can sympathize with us because he knows what you're going through. Not only does he know intellectually because he knows all things, but he knows experientially because he became flesh just like us. But he says there's a huge difference, though, between Jesus and us. Verse 15 Yet without sin. Yet without sin. Now, none of us are going to be able to make that claim. We've all experienced temptation, but we've all given in. Jesus has experienced temptation just like us, yet without sin. He had all the same temptations and trials that we face, but he never gave in. Not even once. And so that means that he was without sin. He is perfect so the sacrifice that he offered when he died on the cross was perfect and spotless which is what is required by the law and so he says that means that we can approach that judgment with confidence he's the one to whom we must give an account he's the one who is our judge he is the one who is acting as our priest and he's also the one who is our sacrifice so what does that mean for us? It means that we can now come before God. And the beginning of the Bible presents that problem to us, that Adam and Eve were in the presence of God, and yet sin separated them from God. They were cast from his presence. That's the big problem that we have. But here we see the solution that we are able to, verse 16, approach the throne of grace with boldness. So that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now this, this concept would have been unimaginable for the Jewish people. That they wouldn't dare come into the presence of God. You can't do that. There's no way you could come. They didn't just go stroll up into the Holy of Holies. You would never even imagine doing that. Only a priest could do that. Only the high priest could do that. And he could only do it on Yom Kippur, that special day of the year. And only after he had been ceremonially cleansed and only after he had made sacrifice for himself. I mean, what do you mean that we can approach the throne of grace with boldness? How could we even imagine such a thing? 
It's because we have a capable priest who has opened up the heavens for us. And we're not confident in ourselves. We're confident in our capable priest who stands for us. Who's made this way of salvation for us. Who's restored fellowship with God through his perfect sacrifice because we have a great high priest who is without sin who has made the perfect sacrifice for our sins it's a throne of grace that we're approaching Paul says it like this in Romans 8 verse 1 therefore there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus there's no condemnation we're not guilty And so when you place your faith in Jesus as your Savior, your your old self is crucified and and buried, and you're born again in Christ. You're united with him. You're trusting in his death as your sacrifice. You're trusting in his resurrection as your life. The Bible says that we're declared righteous because of the righteousness of Jesus, that we're declared holy because of the holiness of Jesus, that we're declared blameless because of the purity of Jesus. Romans chapter 6, verse 5 says, If we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, we'll certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And so we're, we're reconciled to God, made right with God again in Christ. And so because we have this capable high priest who understands where we've been, who stands in our place, he says we can approach with confidence, with boldness. And we can find the grace that we need, he says, in in our time of need. We can find the grace to face our trials each day because of our high priest. We can bring to him our daily struggles. We can bring to him our worries. We can bring to him our trials. We can bring to him the things that upset us. We can bring to him the questions that we have. We can bring to him our temptations because he's been there and he's overcome. We have a capable priest. So he says to them, and I'd say to you, hold on then to your faith. Because he's capable. But secondly, we see in this passage, as he moves into chapter 5, that he's qualified. He's a qualified priest. We need to remember the context, right, of this letter. We've been stating it over and over throughout Uh, this series just to remind us of why the author is writing this letter. He's writing to these Jewish background Christians that are thinking about returning to Judaism. And he's saying, why would you want to go back? Jesus is so much better. Remember, he's a better messenger. Remember, he has a better message. Remember, he's better than Moses. Remember, he gives a better rest than Joshua. And to whom were they trying to return? To these Levitical priests that would represent them before God. And he says, look, Jesus is a way better priest. Why would you want to do that? In verse 1 of chapter 5, he says, Every high priest is taken from among men, is appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. And so he's, he's reminding us of what the job is of the priests. That their job is to make sacrifices for the sin of the people. They were, to, to, they were appointed by God for this purpose. And so on that day of atonement, the high priest would go through this series of ceremonies to prepare himself, cleanse himself, before he would go in and offer 
this sacrifice on behalf of the people. And he would, he would make this sacrifice standing between God and man. And he would call upon God to, to look at the spotless sacrifice of the lamb to make atonement for the sins of the people. And the people would, would be waiting outside for the high priest to, to, re, to reemerge. And they would know that God had accepted the sacrifice. And that they, they were forgiven. He says here that these these priests, they, they understand our condition because in verse 2 he says they're able to deal gently with those that are ignorant and are going astray because he's also clothed with weakness. He says the priests know about our weaknesses because they're struggling with weaknesses also. They're mere men. They're sinners just like, just like the people are. And so in verse 3 he says because of this he has to make an offering for his own sins as well as for the people. So not only is he supposed to go make sacrifice for the sins of the people, he has to make sacrifice for himself, for his own sins. In fact, that's what he would do before he could ever make a sacrifice for the people. He had to make sacrifice for his sins and the sins of his household. And so because of that, it says he never boasted in this office or this role as a priest. In verse 4, no one takes this honor on himself. Instead, a person is called by God, just as Aaron was. He says, you didn't just decide to become a priest one day in Israel. He goes, this is, this is something that God bestowed upon them as a calling from God for which he would qualify the person to do it. But then what the author shows us in chapter 5 is that these priests fall far short of Christ. That Christ is also called as a high priest. In verse 5, in the same way, Christ did not exalt himself to become a high priest, but God who said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. And so just like these Levitical priests were not honoring themselves, but were called by God. He says Christ did not honor himself, but God honored him and called him my son. This is a, a higher honor, a higher designation that was given to Christ by God. And he also calls him into this important function as a priest. And Jesus functioned as a priest, making sacrifice for the sin of the people. But Jesus is superior in that he didn't need to make a sacrifice for himself. Why? Because he's perfect. Because he's without sin. He didn't need one. So he didn't have to go try to cleanse himself and, and, and make a, a sacrifice before he could go and, and make a sacrifice on behalf of the people because he's the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And then, as Christ goes to the cross, he's standing as a representative between God and man. Verses 7 and 8, he says, During his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. And although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And so the, the question that the author is asking is this. Who would you really want to stand as a representative for you before God? Do you want a mere man who has to make a sacrifice for himself? Or do you want the Son of God who's perfect in every way? Do you want a, a, a priest who was appointed by God for the office? Or do you want a high priest who is God? Do you want a, a priest who enters into the Holy of Holies, or do you want a high priest who's passed through the heavens? Because why do you want to go back? Jesus is so much better. And what's interesting is that these Hebrew Christians 
are thinking of trading in a personal relationship with God in Christ for one that's detached, one that's, that's removed. They're outsourcing their faith here. They're relying on a priest to do something for them when the Bible says that you are able to come before God based on your faith in Christ. That we can come with confidence boldly through to the throne of grace. Peter calls us as Christians a chosen race and a royal priesthood. And so because our high priest has passed through the heavens, he says we can come boldly before the throne of grace. We can. I think that we can make the same mistake sometimes just in different ways. We can look to others to be the ones who, who stand for us. and We can outsource our faith, the ones that are going to do this, this religious activity for us. Whether that's looking for a pastor to do all your Bible studying for you, or whether that's looking for a youth pastor to be the one who teaches your student how to know God and love God. Or whether that's coming to a connect group without ever reading the lesson because you can count on your teacher to have done the work. Or whether that's making the musical part of the worship service the only time that you're worshiping throughout the week. We can do the same sort of thing. But what the author of Hebrews says is that you can approach the throne of grace with boldness because Jesus is your high priest. You can. And there are people today who are, who are looking for someone or for something to stand for them before God. Just like they were looking for these priests to do the same thing. Maybe you're counting on having good Christian parents to stand for you. Or you're counting on having gone to church when you were a kid to stand for you. Or you're counting on having a spouse who is a believer to stand for you. And the only one who can stand in your place is Jesus. He's the one who is qualified. And so we have to place our faith in Jesus and in only in Jesus. Because as he concludes here in this section, he says, Christ offers us something greater than the Levitical priest ever offered. It says that he became the source of eternal salvation. In verses 9 and 10, he says, after he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And he was declared by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, don't get hung up on the English word there, perfected. It says, after he was perfected. Sometimes we, we, we hear that word and we say, well, does that mean that Jesus wasn't perfect? That he had to become perfect, like he was lacking something but that's not what that word means. The, the Greek word there is the word teleao, which is translated here as perfected. It's the same word that's used back in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10, where it says that he should make the source of their salvation perfect through sufferings. And so this, this word shouldn't be understood to mean that Jesus wasn't perfect and that he was lacking something. That word to perfect meant to qualify for a role. To qualify him. And that's what we're saying here is that he is qualified as our high priest. And he is vastly more qualified than the Levitical priesthood. And he says that through his sufferings he was qualified to stand as our 
as our, as our priest. Through his uh, suffering, he, he became the source of eternal salvation for us. So what is the action step? Then hold on then to your faith. Because at the end of verse of chapter 4, he says, we can approach this throne of grace with boldness and we can receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need because we have a better priest. And so Christians this morning, as we think about this action step in our lives to hold on to our faith, I'm urging you to hold fast to Jesus because he's better. You don't need someone else to represent you before God because you have Jesus. You can come before him because you have Jesus as your high priest. You can come before God because he's able to sympathize with your weaknesses. You can. And that was a vastly different concept for these Jewish background Christians. Because they were so used to going through the ritual, used to relying on the priest. But what Jesus has done is he has opened up the heavens so that we can come and have a personal relationship with God. And so this morning, hold fast to your faith. So maybe you want to spend some time there at your seat or here in this altar in prayer, knowing, listen, that you can go boldly to the throne of grace yourself. You don't have to go through me. You don't have to go through other priests. You don't have to go through anybody else. Jesus is your high priest. Think about that. That you can come and kneel and pray and come right into the throne room of God because of what Jesus has done. And so there may be others here this morning who have never experienced this personal relationship that we're talking about. And today the call for you is to trust in Jesus by faith for the first time, to, 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 to express this faith in Jesus. That Jesus would be your representative in your great time of need. And this morning you can come and you can be forgiven of your sins because of what Jesus has done. You can be reconciled to God because of what Jesus has done. And you can come into the very throne room of God because Jesus is the great high priest. And I want you to know that in your heart today. And so if this is a decision that you need to make, then I want you to come. There's going to be some leaders here across the front to talk with you and pray with you. And so if this is something that God's doing in your heart, then you come and make that decision today. But however God's speaking to you, now's the time for us to be doers of this word and not just hearers only. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, we thank you today for your word. God, I love going through this book and seeing again and again and again how awesome Jesus is. How he's a better priest for us. Lord, what that means for us, even right now, as I'm praying, that I can pray and you hear me. I can pray and come into your presence because I have a great high priest who has entered through the heavens. Who stands 
in my place who died for my sin, who rose for my salvation. God, I pray if there's any here today that have never experienced this salvation by faith, that today would be the day that they would put their faith in Jesus and follow after him. That we as Christians today, Lord, would realize that we can come boldly into your presence because of Jesus as our high priest. So God, I pray that you would put these truths, bury these truths deep into our hearts today and help us to live them out. We ask it in Jesus' name.